Welcome to Neoweek Audio, a collection of podcasts and Twitter spaces produced and curated by Neoweek, the number one news and community platform for the Neo Protocol and the Aurora ecosystem. At neoweek.com slash podcasts, you can find every interesting audio piece from the community in one place. We curate content on topics such as DeFi, NFTs, gaming, DAOs, community hangouts, and more. Basically, we got you covered near fam. And without further ado, let's dig in. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, testing, testing. Real quick, if uh, everybody can hear me, can you please do a thumbs up? Awesome. Perfect. We're trying a new format, which you will all be able to see later. Uh, uh, podcast format. So perfect. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Just want to say welcome. Uh, this is the first uh, Ilya series Twitter spaces that we're doing after coming back from holiday and new year. And for those of you that are on and celebrate happy holiday and uh, happy new year, everybody, we are entering the year of the dragon. It's just meant to be. This is the first, uh, the first year that near is around for a year of the dragon. It's, it's only once every 12 years. Uh, so definitely going to be an exciting year. Um, today we have, uh, you know, Ilya himself. We also have Bowen who's uh, played a massive role uh, in developing the protocol itself uh, this Twitter spaces will be um, around the protocol uh, roadmap updates, which I'm sure a lot of you have probably seen circulating around uh, Twitter recently. Uh, so Ilya and Bowen are going to dive into like what's coming up, what's next, what to expect, what it all means. And um, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things on there. You know, we have transaction priority, near DA improvements, Ethereum wallet support, uh, so without further ado, we'll make some quick introductions. Uh, I'm Marcus uh, on your foundation, uh, founder support. Uh, and then I'll go ahead and also let the, uh, the speakers introduce themselves, um, starting with Ilya, because I just want to make sure we get Bowen to connect. So Ilya, over to you. Hey, everyone. Great to be here. Happy New Year for those uh, who are still celebrating. Uh, there's a joke. I mean, not a joke, but... Uh, in Eastern Europe, this old New Year that's celebrated on 14th, January 14th. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be here uh, and uh, dive in with Bowen on the protocol roadmap update that Bowen published. And uh, we have, you know, a whole host of new cool things coming up. Uh, and so, yeah, excited to dive in. Let's, let's get Bowen up to speaker. All right, there we go, Bowen. You should be good. Hey, everyone. Uh, yeah, Bowen uh, running the protocol research and development at NIR. And um, yeah, very excited here to uh, share um, the latest on the uh, protocol roadmap for 2024. So maybe let's dive in. Uh, I'm sure, you know, some folks seen the tweet, but uh, I think it's worth recapping the 2023 protocol updates. There's been kind of a whole host of uh, work that was very public and visible. And there's also a whole uh, of the work that went under the later engagement on the work uh, uh, 
help Bowen help let you kind of cover what have protocol kind of work group and team Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, there was uh, a lot that was delivered uh, in 2023. Uh, so uh, on the kind of user facing side, uh, most notably meta transactions and zero balance accounts. So meta transactions allows uh, one account to uh, pay for the transactions of uh, other accounts. So that, uh, uh, for example, someone uh, without near uh, can start using interacting with the blockchain right away. Um, uh, with the relayer who's uh, basically paying uh, the transaction fees for them, and then maybe they can charge the user in other ways, uh, like fiat or stable coins. Uh, but that alone was not actually sufficient because on near there was a requirement that uh, in order for an account to exist and interact with the blockchain, you need to actually have enough um, near tokens locked uh, in the uh, for storage. Uh, so we also designed the requirements account. Uh, to essentially get rid of the requirements for some very specific uh, accounts that uh, have little uh, storage on the blockchain uh, by itself. Uh, so that those two features together enabled um, uh, kind of this onboarding for uh, a lot of new users who can uh, start interacting with the blockchain right away uh, without even having any near on their account. Um, and then on the kind of the more uh, performance optimization or the development of the core protocol, uh, we introduced um, fast storage, uh, which helped with the uh, state reads on, on the blockchain. And then uh, that's kind of optimized the uh, uh, the try reads uh, to the fast state reads. Um, and also the code storage, which kind of deals with the growing uh, size of the archival nodes. Uh, we also did optimizations on the, on the network. Um, and then I think, uh, one of the, um, some of the biggest things uh, that we started in 2023 and will actually continue into 2024 uh, would be things like uh, serious validation and, and uh, uh, the awesome and so on. Uh, so maybe we can talk a bit more about that one uh, when we actually talk about the plan for 2024. Yeah, so maybe just to give more context, the, so meta transactions and zero, uh, zero, uh, balance accounts have enabled a number of products as well as project launches and specifically fast like this was the main enablers for launching fast off that allowed people to kind of really easily onboard by just you know entering an email and getting on and starting to use uh you know be that more for our applications we also have meet their wallet and here wallet now using this uh so you can actually send uh, stable coins without paying fees and uh, we have applications uh, like Cosmos and Sweatcoin soon to start using that as well for their millions of users so that's like a pretty fundamental uh, piece that really enables people to start uh, interacting with the chain without needing to have the near balance uh, from the start and really be able to uh, interact with the, uh, well, I, I'm hearing my, my audio is not great, so I'll, I'll pass it to Bowen to talk about phase two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, you know, from the very beginning, uh, when we launched mainnet, uh, we kind of thought about how we are actually going to fully launch a, a sharded system. Um, even though, uh, 
when we deliver MainNative, it's basically uh, with this uh, fully sharded system uh, in mind, and, and a lot of implementation was done that way. Um, it's still um, still a, a long way to go um, from one shard to actually a system that can dynamically adjust number of shards on uh, based on load. Uh, so we designed this um, four-phase roadmap uh, to actually get to um, to the the, the the end state, um, and in that roadmap, uh, there is this key phase. Uh, so basically, the the phase two uh, that that actually turns near into a uh, fully sharded system, both on state and on transaction processing. Uh, over the years, what we have realized is that in the original nicely design, uh, the the uh, the way to get to phase two based on uh, fraud proofs and, and the existence of fishermen. Um, it's not the best way to um, to implement in practice, even though uh, <clears throat> on paper it's a very <clears throat> it's a very nice design. Uh, and then we have been exploring different ways to actually get there. Um, and stateless validation enters um, enters our mind, um, and it it actually um, not only provides, um, from my point of view, an easier way to implement. Um, the phase two of sharding go, uh, but also brings uh, a lot, a lot of other benefits. Um, for example, uh, with the uh, uh, with this uh, asymm introduction of asymmetry between um, block or like chunk proposers and validators, um, we can actually uh, get a lot more throughput by having uh, a small number of um, uh, chunk proposers running more expensive hardware and uh, validators running a, a lot. A lot cheaper hardware um, and actually holding the state in memory and, and actually getting uh, much better throughput. Um, and also, this is uh, quite a future-proof architecture. Since uh, you know, with the rise of zk technology, um, many people think that uh, the future will be um, uh, a situation where um, very few uh, nodes or like machines would. Uh, round uh, would, would actually be expensive and actually do the computation and then and auto -gen generate the proof and other nodes uh, can can run on very low end device or uh, use very cheap hardware um, and actually cheaply verify uh, the proofs. Yeah, let's see if my uh, sound is better. To definitely add on on Bowen's side, I think the the when the original Nightshade was designed, there was a lot of um, kind of the whole space thought that challenges is the way to go, as well as uh, zero knowledge technology wasn't anywhere close to uh, maturing to be able to run in production. And so um, kind of a lot of design went into that. I think the, the kind of small anecdote was that I banned usage of zero knowledge uh, word in our office because otherwise it was too easy to be like oh yeah we can solve this with zero knowledge um and it it would be really hard to then uh implement that in practice in 2019. now the zero knowledge technology matured as well as uh, there's a clear realization that um challenges are have a lot of side effects that are uh exploitable in in kind of the wild with bridges and other kind of interconnectivity that blockchains have and so uh, status validation with kind of over time zero knowledge proof is a way better uh, kind of approach in general and 
if we kind of compare this to the broader Web3 space, what we see is everyone moving in that direction. So, uh, and kind of the idea, like what one mindset you can use is that every single near smart contract is actually a, uh, like a, a roll-up, which we package kind of effectively into uh, physical shards, and then we have, you know, data availability, we have um, the kind of execution and sequencing, all of this happening between the validator set. And so having chunk producers in a way is moving to this decentralized uh, sequencer that is sharded, that then uh, all the other nodes are the data availability and the kind of settlement uh, nodes which just receive either status validation block uh, with state that was touched or later just as your knowledge proof of the executed uh, transactions. And so that design is very similar to what, for example, Vitalik refers to in the end game where uh, there's kind of block producers and, uh, and there's like a large set of uh, lower powered validators that are validating as Bowie mentioned. So I think kind of it's kudos to the team that uh, kind of continued refining the design. And uh, it's really exciting to see the some of this coming into production in the next months. So maybe, um, Bowen, do you want to kind of comment on the timeline looking forward as well as uh, what how people can participate in some of this? Yeah. So. Uh, this is definitely a very big change uh, from a technical point of view, uh, from an implementation point of view as well, uh, and the, arguably one of the, the biggest changes um, that uh, we've had um, since the, the launch of Mainnet. Um, so we, we actually want to make sure that uh, uh, definitely it's, uh, uh, it's well tested and uh, uh, make sure that everything is uh is put in in place and uh, when we actually launch it nothing would go wrong uh so to prepare for that uh we actually are going to launch uh the kind of what, the next iteration of stake wars so uh historically uh stake wars uh is a program where uh we incentivize validators to join the network and um uh both help us test the uh, uh the, the new release and also uh, for them to familiarize themselves with how to operate. Uh, for this iteration, we're using the name Stake Wars again, uh, but we'll actually focus more on kind of testing the, the network. I'll still invite uh, external validators to join the network, but uh, uh, the, uh, more of the focus would be on uh, participants actually testing the network uh, from like a user or developer point of view uh, by sending a lot of transactions um, and see how the network uh, performs or reacts um, to that. Uh, we are expected to see um, a lot more, um, a lot, uh, a lot more capacity, uh, at least for the transaction that involve a lot, a lot of storage operations. Um, so that's kind of the, the idea. And then for the timeline, uh, plan to launch the program at the beginning of February. So right now the target date is February first, um, and then the program would, would run for about two months uh, until the end of uh, end of March, and then we would launch. Uh, we would actually release uh, the. Uh, stateless validation uh, designed to um, 
to touch that and then uh, uh, the regular release uh, schedule resumes so that code may not feel weeks after. Uh, so basically the plan is that uh, the final launch will be in Q2 and then um, the stakeholders program starts at the beginning of February. Yeah, so super exciting. I mean, this is the next uh, episode of Stake Wars, uh, the attack of transactions. And so uh, really, really looking forward for people to um, kind of leverage all of their tooling to put as many transactions into the system and seeing how, how much throughput we can get. Um, so maybe kind of within that context, uh, let's, uh, talk about the protocol performance improvements, right? So you mentioned flat storage, which I think is uh, you kind of passed a little bit uh, too quickly, but I think it's it isn't was important uh, milestone as well as uh, what has stateless validation um, provided us. You know what what are you seeing so far, and what can we expect? As and then you know looking forward, what what are the uh, other improvements we can uh, we can expect. Yeah. So the yeah, just to kind of uh, summarize again, uh, the performance benefits of stateless validation. Basically, right now, uh, one of the main performance bottlenecks on near is the uh, storage access, storage operation. Right. So uh, reading state and, and writing to state. Uh, so those are the uh, kind of expensive operations, um, and the reason is that. Uh, when, whenever you do uh, such an operation, there's a kind of this try traversal. Uh, well, I mean, in the case of uh, storage reads, we're optimizing that through flat storage, uh, but in case of writes, you're still traversing the uh, the, the try, um, and uh, that that results in a lot of like disk uh, disk accesses and, and and so on. That that is actually the the slow part. Uh, and even with flash storage, uh, we're still doing two reads uh, at the time. Uh, two, uh, two reads and may actually convert to a lot of disk reads because of the RocksDB amplification. Um, so uh, we, the main performance improvements here is that we're actually just moving that all to like in-memory operations. So to actually give us a significant faster operations on the state. Um, and we, we have not yet had a uh, full uh, full flash benchmark uh, to actually show the, the, the performance improvement from uh, from some of my early testing uh, in like more uh, primitive way um, can potentially give us like a 10x uh, uh, improvements in, in some of the uh, more uh, storage heavy operations such as uh, fungible token transfers. Um, and yeah, and one of the goals of the stakeholders uh, program or attack of transaction is to attack the network with transactions and actually see uh, how well it scales and, and whether it actually live up to that expectation. Yeah, so, uh, and maybe like, again, for context, the, the storage has been the major bottleneck for all the blockchains. Uh, this is something that really, um, like hard drives and even solid state drives have a very kind of clear limitation on how much you can read and write uh, per second. And um, the kind of this bottleneck is, you know, a lot of the EVM, for example, bottlenecks uh, is actually in storage, uh, not in compute per se. Um, and so you have uh, kind of Solana approach, which removed the try and at least for until recently has not been computing the kind of authentication of the state, um, which have provided a major performance improvement, uh, but still requires to have kind of 
I think they require two or four uh, separate SSDs on the validator to be able to uh, kind of parallelize some of the uh, reads there. Um, and uh, kind of the other approaches are obviously to parallelize the execution and, and storage through sharding that we've been taking. And what's interesting about putting the state in memory that you can only do this in a sharded system because in every other non-sharded system, you cannot have a kind of predictable limit on the size of the state, right? We see uh, state growth in Ethereum, pretty, like, pretty dramatic. We see state growth in Solana, uh, which means if any of them have the state in memory, uh, the memory will run out pretty quickly because uh, it's not capped. Now, with sharded system, we can actually limit how much state is per shard uh, and kind of rebalance shards to maintain that as the state grows and add more shards uh, to kind of continue growing uh, with, continue growing the network with the growth of uh, usage and state. And in turn, uh, pretty much enable uh, kind of any specific uh, node that pr produces uh, kind of chunks in the shard to have a predictable capacity. And so it also aligns well with token economics because the, uh, the storage deposit means, uh, you know, you need to lock near to allocate capacity in, uh, uh, in, the, in storage in, in any specific shard. Yeah, to uh, to to kind of uh, uh, elaborate a bit more on on Ilya's point, yeah, it's um, this this design actually uh, fits very nicely into the the sharding approach, uh, where like you know instead of having the kind of Solana approach, where like each uh, individual validator uh, needs to run a quite uh, expensive machine that's uh, pretty high end, here like we're, when we're talking about more expensive machines. It's actually much more reasonable, uh, in my opinion. So something like uh, 64 gigabytes of RAM, uh, which I mean isn't uh, really that expensive um, in today's uh, standard. I think a lot of uh, uh, desktops are already have that kind of spec, um, and this is precisely because we can limit the uh, the size of each shard, for example, to 50 gigabytes or smaller, and then have uh, many of those shards um, if needed. So the question is. Uh, for the non-chunk producing shards that are val just validating blocks, what are the requirements? How low can we go? Yeah, I think uh, it should, we, we could go already pretty low uh, today, right? So if you think about what, what, what's the difference, it's basically that those non-validating, uh, sorry, those non-chunk producing nodes uh, that are validating the network, um, they don't need to store the, the state, which is like a, a huge part of the uh, the storage and also the uh, that increases the memory usage. Um, so essentially, what they need to store is the the kind of the the block metadata uh, themselves. Um, so kind of like the uh, almost uh, basically like a header chain for the uh, for for the for the blockchain. And also when the uh, when the blocks arrive, uh, they just do um, they just run the uh, execution based on the witnesses provided to them. Um, so I think. Um, I mean, it's conceivable that they, they only have, uh, let's say, uh, four or eight gigabytes of, of memory, or maybe even can, can even go lower uh, in the future, and then they don't really need SSDs as well, because either in memory operations or um, 
the storage can just go to hard drive. Um, and uh, in terms of CPU requirements, it should also be pretty low given that they, uh, they only need to run one shard uh, at the time. Um, so like a few, uh, like maybe four CPUs uh, should, should definitely be enough. Uh, so overall, I think it's uh, definitely going to be a huge reduction um, over what people are running today. And you know, also like a big part of the cost does come from like the SSDs that people are uh, running today. Uh, which can potentially get be uh, uh, gotten rid of when we actually uh, introduce um, the uh, um, stateless validators. Well, it's great to hear. So, kind of to summarize, we are getting more performance, more throughput, and chunk producing that can have lower requirements. So, we are so decentralizing the network and allowing to have kind of a lot more. Uh, uh, security in the network through that. Yep. So yeah, uh, I think that's not to uh, transition to. Do you want to kind of uh, give some update around uh, zk Lazem project we've been having? Yeah, yeah. I was actually just going to talk about that, right? So, uh, stateless validation is not the uh, necessarily the end state. Yes, I mean it is kind of transforming the architecture of, of near in a direction uh, that's uh, uh, that's future proof or like future facing uh, where like the uh, when the decay technology matures uh, there will be like few nodes that are actually uh, running the execution and also generating the proof uh, but most of the uh, nodes would actually just be verifying a zero knowledge proof and for that you can it's extremely cheap you can just do it in the in the browser uh, or like wherever on like very low end devices um and uh, for that to happen yeah like a major uh, a major uh, stepping stone be the the Kiwasm project that we're working on together with uh, the polygon team uh, so the idea is that we want to build a uh, uh zero knowledge uh, prover for uh, any execu uh, execution of any web assembly program and then on top of that we will be able to prove the uh, nearest runtime and then uh, in turn nearest state transition in one zero knowledge proof uh, so we have made good progress on um, the Wasm, uh, the the Wasm, uh, project. Uh, so we completed um, kind of uh, stage uh, one, uh, which is to uh, be able to generate proof for most of the Wasm uh, opcodes. Uh, and then right now we're working on uh, having an end-to-end -end prover uh, for a WebAssembly interpreter. So if we have that, then we should we will be able to prove the ex uh, execution of any WebAssembly program because it just like runs through the interpreter. Uh, so that's basically the next thing we're working on, uh, hoping to deliver that in um, April this year. And then after that, yeah, it will be actually to integrate uh, with the protocol, basically building the approval for the nearest runtime uh, and then, yeah, state transition as well. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm really excited about uh, one proof to rule them all for the whole near uh, network. So maybe switching gears, um, a lot of you may have seen me kind of talking more about chain abstraction. I think there's like uh, other ecosystems and projects are also talking about it because it's a very natural kind of next step given where the Web3 space is with lots of chains, lots of layer twos, you know, tens of thousands of layer twos potentially launching. And it's clear that we need a way to uh, really kind of easily interact and use apps across any chain and kind of have a very easy way to 
kind of onboard new users and do this without them needing to know about specific blockchain they're using, about gas fees, about bridging, about kind of all of the this lower level details. Uh, kind of, you know, the, the example I like to use is, you know, imagine you go to Netflix and it like asks you to change, to choose a data center. And then it tells you that this movie is like uh, watched by too many people. So you need to like either pay more and then, you know, you have like, you need to br like bridge a balance between different data centers to like pay for these movies. Like that's a current experience we have versus, you know, you go to Netflix, you click on a movie, you just watch it. So uh, so that's kind of the chain abstraction concept. Um, we've been building for this for over like last year and uh, even before that, uh, blockchain operating system is really kind of product suite uh, to enable that. And so I think it's really important to also connect kind of the work we're doing on sharding and continue scaling near to, uh, to this chain abstraction concept, as well as some of the work we are doing on protocol side to, to kind of help with chain abstraction. Um, to really enable this kind of uh, seamless experience for the whole Web3. Yep, um, definitely. Uh, so the chain abstraction and, and also the kind of account aggregation, which is a critical uh, component of that, uh, is also what we will be focusing on uh, this year as well. Um, so uh, the, the entire chain signature uh, is kind of a, pretty complex uh, project uh, underneath uh, from a technical point of view. Uh, so there's the, the MPC uh, signing network uh, that essentially um, help uh, users sign uh, kind of the, their transactions uh, from um, and can be done through a smart contract. Um, and then um, to actually support that, there are actually quite a few or like a few important protocol features that we actually need. Uh, so one thing is that uh, uh, the signing uh, takes time, right? It's not uh, instantaneous. Uh, so uh, right now we currently, there's no support um, from the pro protocol level to be able to schedule something uh, to be completed later. And then when, when it's completed later, it can trigger uh, another call that actually continues the execution. And uh, that's uh, what we're working on to, to support the, uh, uh, the chain signatures and then uh, later on, there's uh, uh, right now the, the signing network is actually separate um, from the, the blockchain itself. And uh, in the future, um, we might consider uh, merging them into one. Uh, or like the uh, the signing network is like a superset of the near near validators, uh, so it provides um, better security for the uh, for the users as well. Yeah. So to kind of uh explain what this feature really enables is this ability that a near account can actually sign transactions or you know any messages for that matter for any other blockchain and so now near account has associated public uh, kind of keys or and addresses on other chains which don't have a associated private key known to anyone and it's kind of distributed between near validators and some additional uh, MPC nodes and this creates a pretty unique um, ability to now kind of similar how you have Coinbase and Binance account, you know, you have addresses on different chains, you can now go and use applications without thinking kind of with one account without thinking about um, kind of specific, you know, chain bridging stuff, et cetera. And there's, you know, a bunch of infrastructure underneath. The cool thing that you now can do is for example, build 
multi-chain applications very easily on near because you can actually send messages to other chains and transactions to other chains from your near account so it's not just for the user but also for smart contracts so a simple example you can build a uh, multi-chain dex where you know you anybody can deposit for example on bitcoin an ordinal or a bit or, or bitcoin themselves and your dex uh, can pretty much trade that for near assets for solana for ethereum uh, Another really cool example that I really like is uh, imagine a near account that on its associated addresses has some Solana NFTs, some Ethereum uh, locked positions and curve and some Bitcoins. And you can sell that whole account with all of the associated addresses to somebody else, right? You can turn it into NFT, you can list it in the marketplace and you can get, uh, you know, paid for it. And so the, the cool part here is really that Kind of you you move away from you know whatever those chains have to have near speed right with one second blocks and kind of near uh, transaction fees with fraction of a cent for transacting potentially you know a whole host of assets across the whole ecosystem and again this is kind of the flip side of this ability for a user to go and directly use applications without thinking about it so that's um, kind of the chain signature uh, feature that's coming up and kind of account aggregation, fastos, multi-chain that we're working on. Um, and importantly, like to do that, right, you know, we expect a lot more accounts, a lot more activity happening through NIR network, right? And to do that, we need sharding to continue scaling, right? NIR has already, uh, you know, most of the, like most of the active users in Web3 and, you know, we continue scaling that and seeing more, more applications than the existing applications growing, and we need to scale with that. And kind of that's the promise of sharding that we can continue adding capacity and be able to handle uh, this growth, you know, billion users and hopefully beyond. So that's kind of how all these pieces fit together. It's, you know, it's a long roadmap. We've been at it since 2018. Uh, Bowen been doing amazing work, uh, kind of joining us uh, on the day one and uh, now leading protocol uh, for many years now. And so I'm excited to kind of see uh, this vision of, you know, Nightshade as it evolved and kind of as Bowen and his team been introducing uh, changes, uh, evolving and launching now to really start onboarding more and more users, right, on top of the what we already have in the ecosystem. So I don't know, Bowen, if you have last words, but uh, we should switch to questions uh, after. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sounds good. Uh, I, I mean, <clears throat> one of the main reasons why we start building a, a sharded blockchain is that we want uh, a scalable platform for um, everyone to use. And it's great to see that uh, uh, Nier has the uh, you know, uh, most uh, active users um, among all of the blockchains. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we want to continue scaling the platform to uh, meet the growing demands um, of, of usage uh, from from different applications um, and providing the best um, support for for the near users as well. Um, so yeah, I think we can move on to questions. Cool, cool. I really appreciate it. Insightful updates about protocol um, uh, protocol roadmap updates. Hopefully, everybody got some insight into maybe what to expect. Uh, some of the amazing things lying under the hood of of near and the infrastructure. Um, but yeah, if anybody has any like questions uh, on the technical side or just in general about any of uh, today's topic, please feel free to request speaker and we can uh, get you up here.
All right, we have uh, one uh, request from Chow Chow. I'll uh, get them up here to ask any questions they may have. Uh, just in the interest of time, um, just be mindful. We do have a few more questions rolling in, so maybe try to keep it to one question per person. Um, but yeah, you're up here. The floor is yours. Uh, if you're trying to talk, you are currently muted. All right, there may be some uh, technical uh, issues there, but uh, I'll bring up the next uh, request, which is uh, Damon Sikor. Meanwhile, who's building a decentralized version of spaces? This is a huge topic that we need addressed. <laughs> All right, Damon, the floor is yours. Hi, thank you very much. I, by the way, hello to everybody. Um, I'm really proud of all the work that you guys have been doing, and it's great to see the success of Near. My question is for the ZK Wasm uh, project: Is there a GitHub uh, repository for this that we can check out today? That's all. Uh, yes. So uh, I, I don't know what's the best way to to send a link, uh, but yeah, most of the work uh, today is done uh, under the our fork of uh, Wasm time, where we're actually. Uh, adding the uh, the backend uh, for compiling from Kernlift to the uh, ZK Awesome. Um, so right now, it, yeah, it, it is. A, I agree. It is a bit hard to view the progress of everything because the uh, the prover and and the, the ZK part are are separate uh, from the the compiler uh, compiler part. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, definitely we can. Um, uh, yeah, Marcus. What, what's yeah? I don't know what's the best way to post uh, links here, but yeah, uh, you can just we can tweet definitely... it out uh, directly. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you tweet it out and even post it as a comment to this spaces, I can I can uh, highlight it and make it a a pinned in the interim. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Awesome, awesome. Thanks. Very a good question. Just, Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks a bunch. It's super exciting to hear this. I think it's it's spot on for what you guys need, should be doing. It's really exciting. Really appreciate it. Um, awesome. Let's uh, get another question up here or feedback. We have uh, George Marlowe, um, who's requesting speaker. Let me go ahead and get George Marlowe up here. All right, and uh, you should be good. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for being here and doing this. Um, it's super exciting to hear about Stake Wars uh, coming back. I can't wait to see that go down. But what I'm most interested in is the multi-chain accounts and how that works with onboarding. So will we have to fund an individual wallet on, say, Bitcoin? Will that wallet already have to have Bitcoin on that native chain itself to transact with Ethereum? Or will we be able to fund a near wallet, which will then go fund the chain for us, the wallet on the chain for us? Hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it's So the question is, uh, for multi-chain accounts, what is the way... Uh, kind of funding of other chain associated accounts will work. And it's a great question because indeed that is the most complicated part of uh, current experience where um, you're not able to you know, easily transact even if you have an address uh, because you need to like bridge the tokens and swap them, etc. So the kind of there are two uh, concepts here. One is indeed you can pretty much uh, multi-chain DEX it, right? So let's, in, let's say there's this multi-chain DEX, you send it near, that DEX uh, transfers you Bitcoin to your associated address. So that's kind of the easiest 
um, way and you know you don't need to bridge you don't need to do anything you just kind of literally swap the now for more like for Bitcoin it makes sense because you probably want to have some Bitcoin and you uh, and like uh, and you it's not about gas fees it's about actually having it now if you are transacting on some other chains where you literally just need the gas fee token there is a approach that we use on near uh, which is um, used with key palm uh, quote-unquote called guest accounts where um, we actually lock the address in such a way that you can transact through it but you cannot withdraw the funds that were put in there for gas fees and so that is an approach that uh, we're going to be taking to really allow uh, for example to you to go and buy an nft on uh, Ethereum with your near account by just paying on near in near, and then somebody else, uh, kind of intent relayer, will go and execute, uh, act, you know, put the fees into your account and then uh, relay the transaction that you signed by the NFT. Um, so it's not just the gas fees, it's actually the Ethereum to buy the NFT. And then the NFT is on your account, but the fees were provided by a third party who then received near on like near tokens on the near network from you. So that's kind of the idea. I mean, there's like a few bits and pieces that are um, finalizing now, and we're gonna have a blog post explaining this and some of the use cases coming out uh, pretty soon. Awesome, that makes a lot of sense. I'll definitely need to go back and re-listen to that though. Um, for a, just for example, if you were to want to switch Ethereum on the Ethereum blockchain to Bitcoin, would you then have to have USDC, some sort of stable coin on the Bitcoin network? I'm not sure how the, the value could just remain there on each individual chain to you know swap for both assets. No, so that's the idea. You don't need to have anything. Uh, you will be able to literally, like you will be actually to have a near account with no near and associated like Ethereum address, which has ETH and to transact that ETH to a Bitcoin uh, through kind of this meta transactions on near as well as uh, kind of this multi-chain DEX that will be uh, providing kind of liquidity between all these chains. So, I mean, the way it, the way it will work, you will, you know, sign a meta transaction, uh, for example, in, you know, here wallet or Meteor that says I want to swap, uh, you will sign a meta transaction on near uh, through here, Meteor or, you know, Sweat Wallet uh, Cosmos or any other uh, kind of user interface that will be relayed by their relayer and then uh, that will create a transaction on Ethereum to withdraw your Ethereum and send it to Ethereum address of the multi-chain swap. Um, that multi-chain swap a contract on NIR will then send, sign a transaction on Bitcoin to send to your Bitcoin address the uh, Bitcoins. And then, you know, within that, there'll be, you know, a small portion that's paid back to the metrics actually layer for actually executing all this on your behalf. Well, that's absolutely incredible. I can't wait to see that. Thanks for the time. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much. Really good question. And uh, yeah, definitely some exciting stuff uh, to look out for. Uh, if anybody else has any other questions or any other uh, feedback they want to come up here and provide, uh, I'm happy to kind of bring you up. We do have a few minutes left. Uh, in the meantime, we have Timothy Avery. I'm happy to get Timothy up here and, um, let's see here. Yeah, there you go. Connected. Uh, go ahead. 
and it looks like you're you're currently muted, Timothy, if you're trying to speak. Oh, my apologies. Can you hear me now? Yeah, no worries. Yep, good and clear. Oh, thank you. Um, thanks for having me here. Um, I was curious to know, um, with the multi-chains, um, if something happens where, um, let's just say Polygon, um, someone attacks it, is there any way that it bridges into your near account or does it just stop there and then you can like just create a new clone of your version of your account for poly polygon or how does that work i'm sorry i'm not very technical so i don't really understand that no that's a great question so the question is like what what happens when one of the chains get attacked like how does that get resolved and uh, what are the what are the like what is the effect on on your uh on your user so this is actually a very interesting dimension of this uh, account aggregation that we're doing because so bridges generally are a huge honeypot they get constantly hacked they are the way to escape from the uh, the chain and uh, when you know when things happen with the chain as well there's uh, a cascading effect through bridges to other ecosystem and so the interesting part here with this approach and kind of important conceptual idea is that we don't want to um, we don't want to bridge things. We don't want to assets to leave where they were issued, right? So this is true about you know if you have a Matic issued on Polygon POS or you have a OP on Optimism, they should live there. If there's any issues with those networks. Um, that token should be there in your associated account, but it's not actually traveling anywhere else. It's not affecting any other uh, kind of places. And so kind of the way to think about it is it, kind of your account, your, you know, your account on Near has these addresses on other chains that have assets that are issued there, be that tokens or NFTs. And, and then if something happens there, that's localized to the assets on that chain. And, and then that's kind of generally the, uh, you know, security parameters of any single chain that, you know, uh, like, for example, there'll be social recovery, it will roll back if something, you know, some attack happened or whatever. And, and so you have self-consistency there, but it will not be affecting kind of the rest of the network. Now, uh, you know, for DEXs, et cetera, obviously there's, you know, additional things that needs to happen there. Uh, but kind of generally speaking, as a user, you have this uh, kind of, isolation of security for each set of assets on that chain uh, that, you know, as the chain recovers, uh, you, you know, you will be recovered in exactly the same way. There's no way like a bridge could have been hacked and broken. And then, you know, there, there's no way to recover that because like assets already gone. So that's, I think the, the biggest conceptual idea and we call it unbridging. So we want to unbridge the space while still make it more usable and more interconnected. So this is, uh, multi-chain accounts. So, uh, and so that's, that's the core, uh, what we're trying to do here. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Awesome. No, that was, that was a very good question. Um, you know, super important to address. I really appreciate you coming up here and, uh, and asking that. Um, I, uh, we have, 
one more person that is uh, requesting speakers. I think I'll have time for one more question, and then uh, we'll maybe wrap it up. Um, actually, we have a couple more. I will. I'll bring up Cade. Um, I'll bring up Cade, and then we'll we'll have maybe time for one more, depending on the length. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Cade. Uh, bring you up to. Um, there you go. You should be good to speak. Hey, uh, it cut out for a second. I don't know if you were talking to me, but I'm the only other person on stage, so I guess it will be. But anyways, hey, Elia. Um, was wondering for content creators <laughs> uh, moving forward in 2024, was there any specific type of content or direction, things that have been missing in the content realm that you're hoping to see more of in 2024? Yeah, so the question is, uh, for content creators, what's a good direction and space to explore? So I think the biggest thing that we're trying to bring together is this idea of chain abstraction. I think there is a pretty big movement that's kind of brewing. Uh, I'm literally receiving messages from a chain abstraction telegram group that's <laughs> getting more people at it right now. And so I think it's really important to kind of, um, you know, share this movement and get people uh, to understand how this really transforming the way we experience blockchain. Because I think... We've seen this on, on Twitter, especially people are getting really anxious and annoyed by the kind of current explosion of chains and uh, kind of experiences. And it's really like hard to navigate them. It's really hard to find what things where are. And, you know, obviously like transacting and, and interacting with them is getting harder and harder. Again, like my MetaMask, when I drop, when I click the change networks, right, it actually is more than I have on my screen. So... Uh, so I think like it's this concept of you know chain abstraction removing this need to think about networks explicitly uh, and and really bringing a lot of the technologies not just near but other uh, kind of uh, cosmos have been working a lot of these ideas as well uh, there's folks kind of that working on for example chain abstracted oracles and other things coming really all together into this new way of thinking about web3 that you know spans beyond, uh, some of the like, hey, I'm in my tribe, and you know, only I target my my users are in my tribe. But that also this like, hey, actually now you can target all the users and all the liquidity across all the chains, uh, and really becoming you know how internet interconnected everything right from just like uh, smaller networks. And so I think that's a really big focus that uh, especially for the next six months to really educate and showcase i mean there's going to be apps that showcase this very well dab dab going to be on forefront but also sweat wallet is going to be introducing some things so we'll see a lot of really exciting stuff kind of um uh showcasing and like showcasing this is really important sounds great sounds great awesome really appreciate it and uh just in context to, to dab dab Cade, um happy to follow up there as well so you can get some testing in. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have enough time for maybe a couple more questions. I mean, they're kind of rolling in. I want to make sure we address some. So I'll bring, uh, we'll bring two more. Uh, I'll bring Gautam um, up here who's uh, been waiting a little bit. Um, so there you go. You should be connected and good. Hello. Yep, we could hear you. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Ilya, Bowen, everyone else. Um, so I run this validator called uh, Centurion and it's been running for a couple of years. I just want to get your thoughts on uh, how you guys think about uh, the economics of running a validator, especially with sharding coming in and 
uh, I'm I'm guessing a lot more while it was also joining the set, right? Which is obviously great for decentralization. Um, how do existing validators think about the economics? Because I've been working very aggressively on cutting down the cost of running a validator and just wanted some future um, roadmap on that. Yeah, so the question is about the validator economics. Uh, yeah, which is definitely a, a great <laughs> great question and a good topic to discuss in general. Um, so, I mean, with the introduction of stillless validation and um, kind of the future direction is basically we want to uh, make it very cheap for people to run, uh, to operate a validator. Um, so there will be a separate entity called chunk proposers uh, that would be more expensive to operate. Um, but the current thinking is that they would also be um, people who have um, uh, more stakes so that uh, uh, you know, they, they will receive uh, more reward uh, anyways uh, if we continue using the uh, mechanism we have today. Uh, but basically there is a bigger uh, problem or like a, a bigger um, question that we have been uh, thinking about is like, well, what, what, what does it mean for um, for other economics when we uh, introduce, uh, let's say, uh, ZK, um, and it, it in a way fundamentally uh, changes the proof of stake security assumption, uh, where like in the back in the days, the thinking is that um, the the security of the network is provided by uh, how, however many people put, put down their money to secure the network. But now you essentially can run computation on a single machine and generate the proof that everyone can, can validate and, and know whether it's valid or not. And also which is kind of the, we can also do this, you know, settlement cross chain, right? You can post the proof of near on Ethereum, proof, proof of Ethereum on near and so on. And it become uh, very intertwined and extremely hard to revert. Um, so um, yeah, there's a question of like, yeah, what, what that future would look like. Uh, and essentially the idea is that the actual capital that, you know, needed to secure the network uh, would definitely be uh, much lower in, in, in the future due to all this uh, advancement in uh, decay and related areas. Um, so I don't think we have a conclusive answer at this point, um, but yeah, I'll pass it on to Ilio to talk a bit more about the economics. Yeah, I mean, definitely a great question. And uh, I think in short term, what we, or like in short to medium term, what we um, kind of, discussing here is what are the ways we can um, incentivize to onboard more validators which have uh, kind of min stake, right? So like the, there's a kind of a whole group of validators who are, uh, let's say under 100,000 or even 50,000 near right now. And as we kind of, you know, increase in capacity, let's, there's actually uh, a resharding happening to add one more shard as well. Uh, which uh, opens up more slots. So like with all that, uh, how do we pretty much reward uh, kind of a, a long long tail of validators in a sustainable way? So I think that's that's number one and there's been discussions in forums and um, I think like there will be some interesting conclusions there. And then on the other side, as Bowen mentioned, kind of longer term, how do we uh, transition to this new uh, network where the stake is, uh, you know, potentially driving more of the decisions around upgrades and kind of where to direct um, in which public goods to develop while validators are uh, really serving the network in kind of uh, 
in a capacity of you know verification and data availability and uh, you know a, a bigger validators are chunk producing. So I would say uh, you know the the kind of the shorter term you know incentivization of uh, smaller validators is something that's like uh, extremely important and and you know a, a few people have been raising this so uh, I'm you know there's discussions and we hopefully concluded somewhere. Uh, and then on longer term, I think there will be still more research on how this all fits together, uh, which again, I'm inviting everyone to join. Um, a lot of it is happening on GitHub uh, in MEPS uh, folder, uh, in the MEPS repository. So inviting everyone to join the conversation there. But Thank definitely you. part of it is, yeah, as Bowen mentioned, is like reducing the requirements for the nodes uh, is part of the kind of overall initiative here, both uh, for validators to have like lower requirements as well as uh, I opened up actually a, um, a GitHub kind of issue and the request on DevHub for uh, reducing some of the storage requirements in general, uh, both on validators and, and kind of nodes that want to track the chain but don't need to have all of the RPC, RPC functionality. So all of this is like leading to less uh, you know, nodes that can cost a lot less to run. Yeah, I saw your issue with regards to storage uh, reduction. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, that will be uh, useful for reducing uh, storage costs as well. Thanks. Awesome. Really, really appreciate it. Great question. Um, super valuable. Uh, a lot of really good questions today from the speakers. We really appreciate it because this is like what kind of really allows us to, to focus on the right things. Um, we do have time for one more. Uh, we have Shih Tzu community um, in uh, our request inbox here. So we have to let them come up and ask uh, questions and provide feedback. Um, again, just in the interest of time, probably try to keep it to one question, but I uh, want to make sure we get you up here. So uh, you are connected and the floor is yours. Yeah, just on a lighter note, unrelated to the space, I just want to uh, comment my disappointment on the recent poll conducted by the long community. Rim did not win, so we believe the poll was rigged since she should have been the clear winner among the OGs. Man, <laughs> appreciate you coming up here. Um, we'll we'll tackle this on a community level. You have to plug that in. Um, we'll take it offline. And uh, appreciate what you're doing for the near community. <laughs> I had to do it. Um, awesome stuff. So with that, um, on that note, uh, we are at time. Uh, we are at the hour mark, and this was in amazing spaces. Uh, we're looking to continue these uh, Ilya series every week. Um, so keep an eye out. These are going to be all on prominent topics uh, within the near ecosystem uh, that people need to know about. Uh, and we're doing the podcast format. So these videos are aimed to be uploaded to YouTube as well for discoverability later. So keep an eye out there. But uh, really appreciate everybody coming on. And uh, until next time, hope everybody has a wonderful day. And uh, thank you for joining. We're coming on Thursday with talking with uh, Urban CTO uh, on Open Lab. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks.